My name's Buffalo Bill and you're listening to The Bike Show on Resonance FM. to The Bike Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. My name's Jack Thurston, and on this week's show, we're taking a look at Ciclo Sportifs because it was just yesterday, on Sunday, that around about 5,000 riders rode the very same course from London to Canterbury that the riders of the Tour de France will be riding on stage one of this year's tour next Sunday. I wasn't among the 5,000, but somebody who was is Julian Bray, who is a member of the Rafa Condor cycling team, uh, himself a journalist, uh, often writing about bicycling matters, and a veteran of quite an enormous number of continental cyclosportives. So I caught up with him just after he'd finished and returned to London to ask him how things had gone on the London to Canterbury cyclosportive. It was pretty good, actually. The uh, the weather was a bit uh, a bit grisly in parts, but uh, overall, it was uh, it was quite an enjoyable uh, enjoyable day. So, how many people were riding today? They said uh, it was about five thousand, uh, which, uh, judging by the uh, the numbers at the sign on yesterday and this morning, I'm sure there sure there were pretty much that uh, the number. It was uh, it was a, it was a good event and a big event. Uh, yeah, slightly blighted by the weather, but it was a British sportive, so British weather, I guess. And so, how does it compare with other cyclosportives? On the continent, it's an interesting one. Um, it was, it is very different from a cyclist sportive, and there's a, there's a, for me, there's a bit of an issue here. This really was a what the continentals would probably call a rondonnet. Uh, you know, it was non-competitive. Yes, we had chips, so you could record a, a, a time, but it was a uh, a ride that would not really a race. There weren't cups at the end, or uh, they, they, allegedly they're not going to pr- publish a, uh, a classification by uh, by time. British Cycling in the uh, in the handouts before the race was saying, that, "Remember, this is a sportive, not a race." On the continent, sportives are races. They're very competitive races at the front, but they're very inclusive races at the back because you can finish in your own time. You can finish two, three, four hours down and still have a fantastic, uh, fantastic day out. I don't want to knock this British sportive because obviously having the tour here is fantastic, and having five thousand people riding over the the stage of a a tour stage in the UK is uh, you know is uh, should be rightly supported, and 
uh, uh, British Cycling did a, did a good job. But my question would be, should we have um, slightly higher aspirations? Should, should or could this not have been actually run like a continental sport eve? Okay, so the guys at the back uh, tap it along and finish in their own time. But at the front, it's a race. It's a race. We have a very healthy road race scene here. Um, you could marshal jun- junctions if you had the uh, had the put the resources into it, and with everybody paying forty quid a pop for entry, they had one hundred and seventy five thousand quid in their pocket to organise a bit of marshalling. So as I said, I, don't, I wouldn't like to seen, be seen to be knocking it, but it was, was a very good event. But um, perhaps our aspirations should be higher. So what are the continental cyclosportives like? Do they close the roads? How many riders are there involved? Well, actually, it's one of the great joys. You're, you're never quite sure of how safe you are. Um, a lot of the big ones, uh, there's a, an effective road closure at the, uh, at the start. And then depending on how, either how quickly you get dropped or how quickly the local uh, police and marshals give up, you're sort of fighting out uh, amongst, the, uh, amongst the traffic. The only one of the few that are, is on really closed roads is the, uh, the legendary uh, Tap du Tour, which is organised by ASO. And there you have um, uh, gendarmes on every, uh, every corner and uh, you can treat the road as it's your own, as, it's, as you are racing, uh, as, as the, as the pros would be racing which does set actually set it apart the rest of them as i say you you um you you take your chances it's like like riding in a road race in the uk basically and in terms of numbers you have everything from the attempted tour which is seven or eight thousand down to uh there are quite a lot of local sportives with uh two three hundred um and they can be uh they can be just as just as tough so have you lost count of how many sportives you've done you put it very kindly at last count it was sort of just over the 50 mark I actually came to competitive uh, cycling quite uh, late in my life, in my, in my 30s. I'd uh, always always ridden bikes. We'd grown up with a family on bikes, but we'd never ridden uh, competitively. Uh, done a lot of rock climbing and mountaineering when I was young, and I found they were they were they were the, the perfect um, sort of uh, sort of uh, pursuit for somebody in my position. Love to travel. Um, love to um, sort of uh, sample other cultures. You know, that sounds like a terrible cliche, cliche, but I mean. Go, the opportunities that these sportives give you, I think, is to actually ride the roads that the that legends have been made on, the pros pros ride over. Uh, riding, I, I could sort of bore you senseless by naming all the coals and uh, other other bits of uh, bits of road I've ridden ridden over over the years, and it's fantastic. When you then see the pros riding those very races, particularly the classics, it gives you a much you know, finer feel for exactly what they're doing, where they're attacking, how they're surviving, where they're suffering. I asked you to prepare a top five drawn from the uh, 50 or so that you've already ridden. Um, Taking them in reverse order. Um, I reckon in number five, this is a bit of a more a rondonnet uh, than a sportive, and it's probably the Tour of Flanders um, sportive. It's not um, not timed. It's not competitive. A lot of locals come out on their shoppers, but riding those uh, 15 or 16 uh, Flanders uh, Flanders Bergs, uh, as I was mentioning just now, it does give you a feel for the uh, feel for the coals. In a number four, a similar one is Milan San Remo. Now that's only a short uh, fondo because it starts from San Remo, goes out along the coast over a coal inland, and then picks up the last 50 k's of the uh, the, the race proper. But you come climb over the uh, suppressor, come over the Poggio, and then come down for a sprint finish in your group. For normally, in my case, about 40th position on the Via Roma, 
and it's the day after the pros have ridden it, so they've still got all the gantries, they've still got the photo finish lines. And uh, if you are a bit of a big kid, which most cyclists are, you can almost feel like uh, Pataki or Ferreira as you come, come across the line. In number two, one of the uh, granddaddies of them all, the, uh, the Marmot, I think. Uh, I've ridden that about four times in glorious sunshine and in, in snowstorms. It is one of the most historic sportives, started in the 80s and is 25 years or more old, uh, 27 years old, I think. Uh, it's over the Quad Affair, over the Telegraph, Galivier combination, and then up uh, Alpe d'Huez to finish. A little like the Tour de France itself, if, if, you, if, you, if someone was going to ride a, a sportive, it would have to be the Etape du Tour. It suffers from exactly what the Tour suffers from, giganticism. It can be very difficult physically to uh, organise and, and get on board. But the fact it always picks a, uh, a major Tour stage of that year, the fact it moves around, uh, moves around France, obviously, depending on uh, what stages it is, means that it's a fantastic experience. The fully closed roads, the full marshalling, the gendarmes everywhere. Again, a magnificent cycling experience. And so in terms of practical arrangements, how do you get entry to one of these events? And then how do you get down there, um, you know, physically get yourself down there? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. Things like the ETAP, there are obviously quite a few uh, tour companies who have traditionally done them, and now there are, are more smaller companies that have sprung up in the last four or five years. Um, the uh, for the smaller sportives, basically, I mean, part of the excitement and enjoyment, I think, is arranging your own uh, independent travel. Uh, I and a few friends, we regularly uh, sort of block book uh, ferries early in the season, um, get to love the A26 down through uh, France, and uh, try not to speed too much. Um, if you you can get on mailing lists of some of these uh, some of these um, uh, uh, sportives and they'll start dropping through your letterbox. There are some good websites now. Uh, there's the Grand Trophée series, sportcommunication.com uh, and a friend of mine, Mark Harding, runs um, cyclosport.co.uk uh, where there's uh, quite an extensive diary. If you, if you put in the work, you know, you can find out, find out a great deal and as I said, it's, I think it's part and of When the do entries tend to open and how difficult is it to get a place? Uh, for the ATAP, the entries, uh, as most people probably know, open, um, uh, I think, officially in January or February with the, uh, with the Velo magazine that comes out at about that stage. For most of the others, though, you can enter anything up to um, uh, a month before, a month or three weeks before, by post or online. And a, a couple of weeks ago, I was down, in fact, last week, should I say, I was down at the Pyrenees. I rode the uh, Hubert Arbs over the Tourmalet and uh, Sudor. And um, one of the friends who came down actually signed on the line for that. Uh, there were about 800, 700, 800 riders or so. So you can just sort of turn up and go. And if you find yourself someone with the ones on, remember, you're going to pay them 25 euros, so they're not necessarily going to be turning you away. <laughs> you know, they're making a bit of money out of it as well. The message I would say is don't be put off by what you hear about the ATAP being difficult to get into. Um, most of them aren't like the ATAP. They're actually quite accessible. And in terms of physical preparation, I mean, obviously everybody's at a different level of physical capabilities but taking your kind of average London commuting cyclist maybe somebody who goes in the countryside and does 60 70 miles what kind of a step up in physical performance is required to uh, realistically have a chance at one of these continental cyclosportives I would I would just recommend go and have a go 
but if you do just go and have a go, you've got to be, uh, you've got to appreciate you're probably going to take a bit of a battering. My first sportive was the, uh, big sportive, was the notorious 2000 uh, etape over Mont Ventoux. It ended in a hailstorm, two degrees over Ventoux. It was an absolute nightmare. If I'd known beforehand how, how tough it was going to be, and actually it was quite a short stage, I think it was less than 150 k's, but it did finish up Ventoux. If I'd known how hard it was going to be, I would never have dreamt of uh, doing it when I did. Don't under, underestimate fundamentals. Um, you know, get your, make sure your bike is in, in good condition. Make sure you're not sort of, you haven't got a saddlebag with uh, sort of a, a set of uh, very heavy um, Allen keys in the back. You see, see people doing this sort of thing. Get in the miles. A lot of the big sportives are obviously over the, the, the classic coals. If you haven't ridden one of those long coals before, you, you will be in for a bit of a shock. They are like nothing that uh, we ride here in the UK. Uh, I mean, half or three quarters of an hour going up uh, eight, nine, ten percent slopes is an experience your body isn't used to, even if you're, uh, even if you're a fairly hard rider. But having said that, if you gear properly, and that's not necessarily too low, uh, I think a lot of people make a mistake in gearing too lowly, using using triples or, or very big sprockets with uh, with compacts. You end up going slower, of course. If you if you gear properly and just measure your effort, uh, you can probably get away. If you're if you if you're relatively fit and healthy and in reasonably good shape, you can get away with anything. And then, frankly, you'll 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 know the delight of having to train up and. And, and, and your improvement will come. And some of the sportives, I understand, offer a range of distances, don't they? Um, so there'll be the main one, which is the 200 kilometres, but there'll also be, um, you know, 120 and an 80 yeah. um, to choose between. Is it worth considering doing one of those, if you, or, or if you're in a mixed ability group, even that you know, some people could ride the full length and others could do the, the shorter circuit? I, th- I think you're exactly right there. Actually, the uh, quite a few of the French ones they offer three loop- loops, as you mentioned. You know, there's the headbangers loop, the uh, the sensible forty or fifty somethings loop, and then the uh, the sort of friends who've come along for the ride loop of thirty or forty k. Normally called the découverte, which is rather rather sweet. Actually, I think the the middle length uh, sportives actually in those combinations can quite often be the most uh, enjoyable. I haven't ridden that many of them, but uh, the Milan-San Remo Sportiva I mentioned just now, it's one of a series in Italy uh, that was set up last year to celebrate the 110th anniversary of the Gazzetta della Sport. And uh, they set the distance at 110 k's. And it's a great distance. You know, you could do them in uh, you know, three and a half, four hours, say, uh, over not too tough terrain. You can have a hard day out, a good day out, an enjoyable day out. But you don't sort of end up uh, after sort of six or seven hours in the saddle having kind of been beaten senseless over <laughs> over some long calls. So if listeners have had their appetites whetted, is it too late to take part in a cyclist sportive this season? Um, what would you recommend? There are still quite a few uh, left to uh, to come up. Obviously the, the prime season is uh, May, June and July, then things die off through August. Uh, there's a lovely one down in the Auvergne, the uh, Auvergne Auvergnette. Uh, which is part of the sport communications series. That's in uh, probably our bank holiday weekend in August. Uh, about 170 k's, fairly lumpy, but uh, great. So that's the Raymond Poulidor memorial ride. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And kind of all, yeah, occasional cows in the road. I vaguely remember some horrific sort of drags that never seem to end. But you know, it's that fantastic uh, volcano, uh, volcano uh, scenery. There's another sport communication on the Ronde de Picardy up in the north in early September. And uh, there are, in the, if you go to the French Cycling Federation, the FFC website, there's a series called the Trophy d'Or, 
which is the, their official sportive um, calendar, a bit like the everyday cycling thing in the UK. And there you'll find lists of uh, there are there'll be uh, ten or more, uh, ten or twenty or more by the end of the year. In Italy, actually, one that I wrote last year for the first time it was part of this challenge Gazetta series was the Fondo the day after the uh, uh, Tour of Lombardy which starts in Como and takes you out over the uh, Gisalo climb and then the finishing two climbs, which having watched uh, at the top of the Gisalo uh, Paolo Bettini win last year was, uh, again, a fantastic experience. And the, I don't know, some of your listeners may remember the, uh, if, if you saw the footage of Bettini when he broke away on the penultimate climb, uh, taking this the descent off this down this narrow sort of cart track with the stone um, supporting wall on one side and the rock on the other, fantastic! And then the next day you go and ride it yourself, you know, at a you know, slightly more leisurely uh, leisurely pace. Um, that's that's a fantastic one. That's in um, if I remember rightly in mid October, the Lombardy uh, Lombardy Giro, and you can find it through the Gazzetta della Sport. That's, that's How about the Eroica? which is the Ciclo Sportive that has a kind of retro feel about it in uh, Chianti, I think, in the very beginning of October. And they ride over the Strade Bianche, the, the, the unsurfaced kind of white roads, uh, kind of gravel roads. I mean, they're more than tracks. They're just unsurfaced roads. And it's encouraged that riders will ride on a vintage bicycle and dress in a vintage style. And apparently the uh, feed stations all have vintage... Uh, sustenance. So instead of uh, you know Gatorade and energy bars and and all that, you get a kind of a, a, a cheap red wine and a panino with uh, with with some goat cheese. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. I've I've read about the uh, La Roca uh, ride and it looks 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 absolutely marvellous. I'm not sure whether I'd go all the way with one of the vintage bikes and a and a, and a fixed wheel. Uh, but uh, yeah, the uh, Strada Bianchi look um, look uh, look great. And the, one or two of the one of the courses on that i think it's actually quite long it's um yeah it's a 200 kilometers or more i think yeah 200 kilometers on uh, only metalled roads on a bike from the 1930s would uh, you know test anybody and um and that part of the world is obviously beautiful as well so i'm, I'm sure that would be a great one to do I, I don't know about the entry or how you get an entry to that of course next year there is the uh, the paris roubaix uh, sportive they only run it uh, every couple of years um and it's running June rather than next to the, uh, the the race itself, and you can do the full length about a two hundred k, and I think about a hundred k. One of my friends uh, did it last year and sort of wasn't walking for several days afterwards for the all the obvious reasons. But again, that's you know that's a that's a challenge fifty fifty odd k's of uh, of uh, cobbles for uh, for fun thrown in with two hundred fifty k's of riding must be uh, must be good. They also really do give you a feel for. The uh, the culture of cycling. You mentioned uh, the Eroica in Italy, the Roubaix, Flanders, uh, even the Etap. You know, on a more sort of immediate level. I think it's. I think it's. That's, that that is one of the reasons they have become so popular uh, on the continent. Um, the British model is slightly different for obvious reasons, um, but I think it's uh, that, that add, adding that adding that uh, that uh, cycling culture dimension is, is 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 really important and something something should be people should appreciate. Well, with the growing popularity of these cyclosportives, there is a film company which is now producing um, a set of different films about cyclosportives from uh, the Etape du Tour and um, other ones as well. It's called Cycle Film and uh, the website cyclefilm.com. Um, and we have three copies of uh, The Road to Ludanvale, 
um, which is reconnaissance for this year's L'Etap du Tour, um, and it features Michael Cotty, who was the first British finisher in the uh, Etap 06, um, and also the first British finisher in the Marmotte of um, the same year. Anyway, it's a great DVD, and we have a question for you uh, to answer, and the first three people to answer the question correctly will get this DVD in the post. Um, so, what's the question, Julian? It should be, uh, it's, it's not uh, not too hard, so eminently, en- eminently winnable, I hope. Uh, and the question is this, what's the name of the coal making its Tour de France debut this year that features in the 2007 L'Etat du Tour? So the, the coal that's making its Tour de France debut, uh, never been used before. Good luck. Well, thanks very much for sharing um, your experience. Good luck in Le Tap du Tour. How do you think it's going to be this year? It's going to be a, going to be a tough one. It's uh, 200 kilometres in the Pyrenees, five, uh, five big coals. Uh, when I was down in the Pyrenees a couple of weeks ago, uh, I rode the final two, uh, two coals, and uh, the penultimate one's tough, very tough, very long, 19 and a half k's or so, and the final one is uh, 10Ks and it's going to be, well, it's either going to be blistering hot or it's going to be one of those grim Pyrenean days. And, uh, you know, either one, it's going to be uh, going to be a long day. Uh, it should be a good day, but, uh, and the finish is downhill, which can't be too bad. So, you know, fingers crossed. I was in conversation there with Julian Bray, a rider with the Rafa Condor team and an expert on the continental Cyclo Sportive scene. And I'll be sure to put the various web references that he mentioned on the bike show's web space which is www.thebikeshow.net and if you want to enter the competition to win one of those dvds of reconnaissance of this year's route of the etape du tour you can send the answer to that question which is the col that will be featured in the etape that is featuring for the very first time in the tour de france you can send the answer to bikeshow at gmail.com bike show at gmail.com and i'm afraid uh technical limitations prevent us from allowing any kind of telephone entry and if one competition isn't enough We actually have two competitions on this week's bike show. The second one is for a pair of tickets to a talk that's being given at the Design Museum on Sunday the 8th of July at half past three. And it's a talk by Ben Wilson, who's the curator of an exhibition that's running currently at the Design Museum about fixed wheel bicycles. Uh, Ben Wilson is an industrial designer and bike fanatic and his exhibition looks at the history of the fixed gear bicycle from 1888 to the present day. Obviously fixed gear bicycles were the first bicycle uh, before they invented free wheels and gears and um, the exhibition entitled Fixed is in the tank which is the Design Museum's riverfront exhibition space and it's free to view at any time of the day or the night. Uh, So if you want to go along to that talk, which is on Sunday the 8th of July, uh, given by Ben Wilson, tickets are £10 and available from the Design Museum, Um, you can just as easily win some by answering the following question, which does relate to the Tour de France. 
But the question is, in which year were riders officially allowed to use variable gears in the Tour de France? In which year were riders officially allowed to use variable gears in the Tour de France? And answers to that question to bikeshow at gmail.com. And many thanks to the people who've provided those prizes. Thanks to the Design Museum and also thanks to cyclefilm.com for providing the DVDs which you can win. Well, it's getting very, very close to the Tour de France and the excitement in the City of London is palpable. And there's an enormous amount of activities going on uh, in the run-up and during the uh, weekend of the Grand Depart. In fact, far too many to list. Um, And in fact, actually, I wouldn't want to list um, any of the activities that are going on because they might just happen to conflict with what the bike show is doing to celebrate the Tour de France in London this year. We are in cooperation with Scooterworks Cafe, the coolest cafe in London, when we're putting on a couple of days of celebrations on the Friday all day and all evening and on the Saturday. Um, And we will feature the Symphony for Singing Bicycles, finally. We've been talking about it a lot, but it's actually going to happen. It's all coming together. We've got all the bits and pieces sorted. Andy Cox has been... uh, soldering and uh, wiring up the dynamos to the loudspeakers. We've procured the requisite lengths of tubing to amplify the sound and all we need is a bunch of riders. We've got a few people signed up, around about a dozen to 16, so we've got enough uh, materials for 24 riders. So if you want to get in touch, if you're available on that Saturday morning, Saturday the 7th of July, and you fancy coming along, with your bicycle and taking part in the UK premiere of the Symphony for Singing Bicycles, then do let us know. Find out all about it on the website. Um, It's really going to be a lot of fun. And if you want to come, just drop an email to bikeshow at gmail.com or give me a call on 0207 928 1626 and register your interest or pop in to Scooterworks Cafe, which is just a stone's throw south of the river just uh, off Westminster Bridge so it's actually really easy to uh, go to and fro between scooter works where the party's going to be happening um, and the uh, centre of town where the prologue will be taking place on the Saturday and of course the presentation of riders will be taking place on Friday evening so after you've been to Trafalgar Square to see the presentation of the riders in the Tour de France just wander over roll over the river down to Scooterworks in Lower Marsh. It's going to be a great party. The Sunday Cups will be playing. They're an excellent surf band who've been primed to come up with some uh, surf versions of classic French pop tracks. Um, There'll be some accordion music live and uh, some bal musette, plus um, DJs from Continental Drift playing the best in French, Belgian, Italian and Spanish pop. Uh, So the party is at 132 Lower Marsh, that's London SE1, and that's just on the corner of Lower Marsh and Westminster Bridge Road. 
And uh, that's about all there is time for on the bike show this week. If you've been tuning in to hear the test of bicycle pumps that was promised at the end of the show last week, well, my apologies, that is going to be held over until next week's show, where we'll also have an account of the Symphony for Singing Bicycles. And next week's show will be the last bike show in the current season, in part because Resonance is moving its studios from uh, the current location in Denmark Street, just off the Charing Cross Road, south of the river to Borough High Street. And it's a move that I think is going to be a huge benefit to the radio station and all the people who work here and engineer and make programmes. But during the move, a lot of the live broadcasting will be curtailed, which is why the bike show will be taking a rest for uh, a few weeks or maybe a couple of months and recharging the batteries and coming back later in the year. The clear spot is fast approaching here on Resonance 104.4 FM. You've been listening to The Bike Show with me, Jack Thurston, and it just remains for me to say thanks for listening. Enjoy the Grand Depart of the Tour de France in London this coming weekend. Until next week, ride safely and chapeau. Chapeau.